Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. In the mid-1800s, a young Jack Gallagher left Limerick for a new life in America. Over 200 years later, the Gallagher name is now back, helping you face the future with confidence. Gallagher is Ireland's new name in motor, business and home insurance and financial planning. Call Gallagher today on 0818 222 400 for all your insurance needs. Arthur J. Gallagher Insurance Brokers Ireland Limited Trading as Gallagher and Polsky Quote is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I'm your co-host, Austin. And we know it's been a minute and I don't even have an excuse. Time just kind of gets away from us and I'm doing the best that I can, okay? But I know some of you have reached out and said that you miss us and we miss you too. And I promise that this is like daily on my mind getting these episodes written and recorded and out to you guys. So I do my best, I swear. But I don't this know. is the first episode, though, coming from the new studio. Yes, we have a new studio. I need to post about it, like make a permanent post on our Instagram so people can see it. But Austin surprised me with a podcast studio, and it is legit. And so, we'll be getting new mics next. Yeah, new mics are next. So hopefully, our sound quality improves. Um, yeah, we're doing big things. We're moving on up in the world. Out here, growing with y'all. Yes. So today we are talking about. The Toy Box Killer. What? So this was a case that was recommended by Christine Podlucky. Um, I've been getting a lot of requests through our website, mamamystery.com. If you want to request a, a case, you can fill out the form on that website. Um, and, you know, while you're at it, leave us a review on whatever listening platform you're on. If you're capable of doing that, I would really, really appreciate that because that helps us get us out to other listeners. Just leave the review if you like us, though. If you don't like us, just don't listen. Then bug off. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) All right, so the Toy Box Killer. You ready, Austin? Never heard of it. Austin um, chose to eat while we are recording, and I only say that because I hope you finish quickly. This case is disturbing. And I was my commentary. I was, well, no, I'm, I'm saying because I don't want to ruin your appetite. It's going to ruin your oh, appetite. So Right on. Yeah. I was talking to someone about it. I was like, I feel like this is going to mess Austin up. Mm. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So David Parker Ray, that is who we are talking about. He was born on November 6th of 1939 in Belen, New Mexico. This is vintage. 1939? He, that's when he was born. As vintage. Well, his crimes happened in the 90s, though. Well, he was old. Yeah. Anyway, right off the bat, David had a rough childhood. His dad, Cecil, was a violent alcoholic who often abused David, his sister Peggy, and their mom, Nettie. But finally, by the time David was 10 years old, his father left the home and divorced Nettie and rarely saw his kids after that. Nettie ended up realizing that maybe her kids were better off with their grandparents. So 
After the divorce, she sent David and Peggy to live with their grandparents in Mountaineer, New Mexico. Their grandfather, Ethan Ray, was referred to as Old Man Parker, and he was known as a strict disciplinarian. He expected the absolute best from his grandkids in regards to how they looked, how they carried themselves, how they spoke, how they performed in school. He, looked, he put a lot of pressure on them to be perfect. At school, David was required by his grandfather to button his shirt all the way to the top, which prompted other kids to make fun of him. And he was already a pretty quiet kid, so they'd often pick on him until finally one day he just snapped and fought back, even though he was never a violent kid, but he just kind of had enough and fought back. And after that, they kind of left him alone. Back at home, the kids were pretty isolated as they lived 20 miles from school in the middle of the desert. There were no friends nearby that they could play with, so David often spent time outside alone or working on the ranch at the direction of his grandfather. And he also started working on a motorized scooter of his and realized that he had a real knack for mechanics. So as his skills grew, these kids who used to make fun of him are now asking for his help since he's more capable of like fixing their bikes and you know helping them with things. But in his spare time, he also took to sketching. But we're not talking about sketches of innocent little things like creeks or barns or owls and kittens. No, he was drawing sketches of women, specifically women tied up in BDSM poses. Oh my god. How old? I don't know. I, I, I don't know when it started, but I know around the age of 14, his sister Peggy found his sketches and addressed it. I don't even know why I asked that. I guess I try to picture it. No age is that normal. <laughs> no like, age oh, is that normal. he was 22. BDSM chicks, pinup girls, cool. <laughs> no, it's like really freaking weird no matter how old you are. Yeah, I mean, to each their own. Some people are into that, and if it's consensual, great. More power to you. Lunchbox full of drawings falls on the floor. Yeah, she has a gag ball in her mouth there. Isn't that nice? It's a spiked one. See the spikes? You can tell because of how they are. Okay. Anyway, apparently he was inspired by these magazines that he got as gifts because his dad, when he would come visit, he would, which he rarely did visit, but when he did, he brought his son BDSM magazines. Heck yes, Pops. Talk about father-son bonding. Let's bond over bondage. I already got Bond over Bondage. That was a good one. <laughs> I just came up with that. that it was wasn't written in my script. You know something you do a good job of? What? Telling the background. Because now you have this kid that has grown up getting bullied in the middle of nowhere, abusive parents, mm-hmm. and bonds with his dad over bondage and draws pictures of chicks getting tied up. So it's already no surprise something weird happens. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to to discover the background of these criminals, not because I'm trying to make excuses for what they've done, but to find patterns that maybe will help identify problems later on, or maybe red flags that you'll realize within someone you know. You know, It's definitely not because I feel sorry for the guy that I'm going to excuse all his shit because he had a rough upbringing. Plenty of people deal with adversity and don't become murderers. So, yeah, in no way does this excuse you know, anything that he did later on. But I just think it's important to know a background. I think it's cool that you say it. So in the summer of 1957, David's grandmother passed away, and David and his sister were split up. 
David left for Albuquerque to live with his mom, and then his sister Peggy was sent to live with an extended family member so she could finish school. So after graduating from high school that year, David got a job as a handyman, and he met a 17-year-old girl who he married in 1959. He got her pregnant, and then he left to join the Army for three years. She had the baby while he was overseas and soon filed for divorce because she couldn't handle him being gone overseas and just leaving her by herself. So he was granted an emergency leave to come home and finish the divorce, and she was actually um, she actually gave David custody of their nine-month-old son, who at that point was being cared for by the State Department of Public Welfare. Oh my, so she wasn't that great of a mother. Yeah, I guess not. Just... Couldn't couldn't swing it, I guess. Imagine being gone for three years. That's weird enough, but imagine it when you have no cell phones. Oh, yeah, that would be just... I mean, obviously, we don't know any different now, and they wouldn't know any different then, but, yeah, I cannot imagine. Yeah, we're, we're like in this bubble that we have no idea what life would be like. Yeah, so spoiled. So David ended up, ended up getting custody of his son, but then he went back to the Army and let his mom, Nettie, take care of his son. Later that year, he met another girl. They got married, but that marriage was super brief, only lasting a few months before they ultimately split. And then in 1966, he was 26 years old, and he met an 18-year-old girl who, again, he quickly married. They ended up having a daughter, um, and he absolutely adored this daughter. They had a very strong bond. Um, Her name was Glenda, but she went by the name Jessie. But when she was only a few months old, David actually left again. And I should clarify, they had a, a close bond throughout her her life. But when she was only a few months old, David up and left again, abandoning his family to go be a hippie, hitchhiking his way across the West. So in 1969, he meets this girl named Sally. Sally, who's still in her teens, becomes his hitchhiking companion. And at one point during their travels, they stopped at a truck stop on Route 66 and hit it off with the truck stop owner and his girlfriend, who in turn offered David and Sally a job to work at their truck stop and live in their trailer for the time being. So the two couples spent a ton of time together and got really close. This truck stop owner's girlfriend always felt like David was very kind, compassionate, and sensitive. So when she woke up one morning to find that David's girlfriend, Sally, just up and left in the middle of the night, she was shocked. But David assured her that she was just a wanderlust, free spirit, and left on her own accord. So later that fall, David ultimately decided to go back to his wife and two children. So he moved back to Albuquerque. This dude's just beaten to his own drum. For sure. And common denominator between all these chicks is they're all way young. They're super young, yeah. Yep, he gets older, his girlfriends stay the same age. In 1969, David got his license to work on an aircraft mechanics and moved his family to Tulsa, where he got a well-paying job as an instructor for the Spartan School of Aeronautics. At this point, it seemed like David really woke up and accepted his role as a doting husband and father. Every night, he came home, he was very involved with his family, and like I said, he and his daughter especially got very close. In the mid-70s, he moved his family to Victoria, Texas, where he ran a gas station and worked as a volunteer firefighter. But in 1977, he moved them back to New Mexico, working on the railroad. 
This took him all over the Midwest and required a lot of traveling, so he began spending less time with his family. This took a toll on his marriage, which ultimately ended in 1981, resulting in his third divorce. So after this, he tried to reinvent himself again, adopting his mom's last name, changing his name from David Ray to David Parker. He accepted another new job, this time in Phoenix, and met and married his fourth wife, Johnny Lee. 18. I actually don't know how old. I tried to find a picture of her. I couldn't find any information on this woman. But they ended up settling down in Elephant Butte in New Mexico, which was famous for this huge reservoir, which attracts a lot of tourists every year. But for whatever reason, this marriage was doomed to fail as well and resulted in his fourth divorce. But then the wind blew in, Miss Cindy. Mrs. That was, <laughs> that was such a good intro. If you guys, I don't know where the story goes right here, but I'm just going to say this. We're, we're kind of watched a lot of movies. And there's this movie called Masterminds, and we quote it all the time. And then it goes, and then the wind blew in, Miss Kelly Campbell. Yes. The wind blew in, Miss Cindy Lee Hendy. Cindy Lee Hendy was 39 years old. Old for his type, right? Still like almost half his age. Well, yeah, because he was 20 years her senior at this point. Yeah. But she worked at Elephant Butte State Park. But if anybody's looking, i sorry to interrupt. If anybody's looking for the rule, divide by two, add seven. That's the youngest you can be with. Right. We've probably. discussed that. In a, I know, in but a in case we got new listeners and they've been curious about how young they can go, there you go. I don't think anybody was, so we're just going to continue. But just in case, you know now. She worked at Elephant Butte State Park, where David also worked as a mechanic. Cindy was from Seattle, but she moved to New Mexico to avoid arrest for forgery, theft, and possession of drugs. So they just hit it off. Class act. They realized how much they had in common together, and they began dreaming about their future, and they started saving up to make their dreams come true. But what was their dream, you ask? To build an adult-sized toy box. So they saved up and spent nearly $100,000 on this toy box. What do you think was in the toy box? Sex toys. That's it. Probably sex parts of people. So they bought this 25-foot-long windowless soundproof cargo trailer, and they put this trailer in their backyard, and they stocked it full of saws, knives, needles, surgical tools, chains, whips, straps, sex toys, a coffin lined with fur, electrocution clamps, ropes, and a bed with stirrups that you would find like in an OBGYN's office. Splashed on the walls like an ornate wallpaper were pages torn from his BDSM magazines, displaying women being bound and tortured. As if the ambiance of all the other shit wasn't enough, let's plaster some pics on the walls. What a toy box. Yeah. Yeah. So being the crafty mechanic that he was, he invented and built his own sex toys. And one was this huge pipe, like PVC pipe, right? With nails at the base sticking upwards all the way around the circumference of the pipe. And I'll just leave you to imagine what that was used for. Um, That's just one example of one of the many things that he built with his imagination and his bare hands. But what sickens me most about this whole box of torture 
is that he would let his friends come in and use this toy box on victims that he and his girlfriend, Sydney, kidnapped. And the worst part is that it was known or it was said, whatever, that he would put gravy on his victims' privates and then let dogs come into the box. And you just know what happened next. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anymore. Uh, anyway. So he would get his victims by posing as an undercover police officer, and he targeted women specifically who were working in the sex industry, and he would pose as if he was putting them under arrest and bring them to his toy box. Once they were in the toy box, he would play this recording of his voice, and he says that this was like, it was supposed to be hypnosis, this, this recording, right? This is so weird. This is like a scary movie. So I'm going to read to you um, the recording that he would play for all of his victims when he would bring them into the toy box. Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You are disoriented and scared, too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while, at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created on July 23rd of 1993 as a general advisory tape for future female captives. Now, you are obviously here against your will, totally helpless, don't know where you're at, don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose and know that you can't. Now you're just waiting to see what's going to happen next. You probably think you're going to be raped, and you're fucking sure right about that. Our primary interest is what you've got between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got. Because basically, you've been snatched and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. Sound kind of far out? Well, I suppose it is to the uninitiated, but we do it all the time. You've been taken by force. You're going to be kept by force. What all this amounts to is that you're going to be kept naked and chained up like an animal to be used and abused anytime we want to and any way that we want to. And I, I imagine the tape goes on. I didn't listen to the whole thing, but um, I imagine it goes on to just ramble more and more, probably because he likes horrible. just listening to himself. But I can't even, you know, when I was writing that, I couldn't imagine putting myself in these victim's shoes. It is a complete nightmare. It is like a horror movie truly come to life. Sure. I can't imagine how scary that would be to yeah. wake up. You've been drugged. You've been kidnapped. You're bound. You're naked. And then you hear that. And then you hear that. Which gets worse as it goes. Oh, yeah. Like when you first started reading it, I was like, man, this is messed up. And then it gets to like a whole level, whole different level. Mm-hmm. So together, David and Cindy would kidnap victims and bring them to the box. And when they were finished with them, they would either murder their victims and discard their bodies. Or they would just drop them off on the side of the road. And what's really unfortunate about this is that many, since many of their victims were sex workers, police didn't really investigate their disappearances, right? Because 
either they didn't know they disappeared or they just figured, well, these people are on drugs. Like, I don't know. They just kind of blew them off. They're doing what they do anyways. Right. So how long would they keep them? It would be anywhere from like a few days to maybe longer. But I feel like the average was probably a few days. That is until Cynthia Vigil. So Cynthia Vigil was only 22 years old working as a sex worker when she was approached by David Parker Ray posing as a cop. Cynthia Parker or Cynthia offered to give him some sexual favors. So David acted like he was going to arrest her for propositioning an undercover officer. As soon as he got her into his car, he bound her with duct tape and a metal dog collar. But in the car was also an accomplice, and it wasn't his girlfriend, Cindy. It was David's own daughter, Jessie Ray, who often assisted her dad in his kidnappings. Cynthia was taken 150 miles away to his toy box, where she was then chained to the walls inside. After three days of unspeakable torture, she's chained up alone with Cindy in the trailer. So I don't know if I touch on this later. I can't remember. Um, but some of the things they would do to these victims was they would put straps on their ankles and then spread their legs as far apart as they could possibly go. Like their hips would pop out of place. Tendons would get torn. I mean, it was like vicious torture. It's not just like flexing to see how long they could, far they can go. It's like we're mechanically spreading them. They would hook up. Um, clamps to their nipples and like electrocute their victims through their nipples. They'd stretch their nipples as far as they could. I mean, they're just experimenting with these, these human beings. Like I can't even wrap my head around it. It's so disturbing. So Cynthia, like I said, had just endured three days of unspeakable torture and she's chained up alone with Cindy in the trailer So Cindy gets a phone call, and she takes the phone call, not realizing that she left the keys to the chains within Cynthia's reach. So Cynthia sees the keys and realizes this might be her chance to escape if she can just find that perfect moment when Cindy isn't looking. Minutes go by with Cindy on the phone. Cynthia's heart is just racing because she feels within inches of freedom. Cindy is pacing back and forth on the phone, unaware that the keys are within Cynthia's reach. She's looking at the keys, looking at Cindy, looking at the keys, looking at Cindy. The adrenaline is probably almost enough to make her physically sick. Finally, Cindy wanders into another room while she's still on the phone, and Cynthia manages to scoot herself closer to the table and grabs the keys. Her adrenaline is pumping. She's shaking as she tries to get the keys into the locks to self set herself free without dropping the keys, right? The clanking of the chains alerts Cindy, and Cindy comes back into the room to see what's going on. She sees that Cynthia is managing to free herself, so she jumps on top of Cindy and tries to subdue her. But at some point during this struggle, Cynthia gets a hold of a lamp and smashes it over Cindy's head, knocking her to the ground. Cynthia frees herself and just for good measure grabs an ice pick nearby and stabs Cindy in the head or neck area and bolts. She escaped the trailer completely naked except for the dog collar still strapped to her neck. She's running as fast as she can, unaware of if anyone is catching up to her or is running behind her. 
She's just desperate to find help or flag somebody down. But sadly, cars would pass and they would lock their doors as they pass, refusing to help her because they're just like, no, they're I don't. Freaking, they're uh, they're scared. just looking at her. Yeah, exactly. She runs up to a house, but they don't answer the door. So she runs up to another house where Lorraine, Lorraine Beach was just sitting in her living room watching TV and Cynthia busts through the front door and just begs Lorraine for help. And Lorraine is stunned, obviously, but sees that Cynthia is covered in bruises and dried blood and grabs her a robe as she calls 911. God, I got the goosebumps just now. This is terrible. So when the police arrived, she told them what had been happening over the last few days. And she also told them about the scuffle, like, you know, hitting Cindy over the head with the lamp and it falling to the floor and hitting her, stabbing her with the ice pick and all of that. So they sent officers to the trailer to investigate. And as they approached the trailer, Cindy and David were there trying to leave. So they stopped the couple and arrested both of them. David and Cindy both told police that they were just trying to help Cynthia overcome a terrible heroin habit. But the police kept them in custody until they were able to verify either of the stories, right? So Cynthia had told them about all the tools and toys that they were used, uh, that they were using to torture her. And then, of course, told them about the lamp and all of that. And sure enough, when the police searched the trailer, they found evidence to corroborate all of her claims. But not only that, as they're searching this disturbing torture box, they find a camcorder and a clipboard with a list of names on it, ranging in dates from 1993 to 1997. Literally, one column said, how stupid can you be? One, this is such a sorry to interrupt. I just mm-hmm. want to say this. This is such a common theme where these weirdos have lists of all their people and dates and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they like to keep like mementos or trophies. Right. Yeah. So one column literally says abduct date. Abduct date. And then under that column would be a list of dates with tally marks next to each date, believed to be the number of of assaults on that date. Then they check the tape in this camcorder, right? And on this recording is David standing next to a woman who is bound naked to a chair, but she's obviously out of it. Then on that recording, you see David hit play on an audio tape, and it's the recording that I read you. And he's playing it for every victim. So by now they realize they're onto something, that this dynamic duo is very dangerous and they want to know who the girl is in this video. Is she alive? Is she dead? Who is she? Where is she? So they notice this tattoo on her calf and they send it to the FBI to see if they're able to identify the girl in the video. And they don't come up with any leads from their database. So somehow they release a description of this tattoo to the public and they basically ask like, Hey, if this is your tattoo, please contact us. We just have some questions. We just want to talk. Well, a woman named Kelly Garrett recognizes this tattoo as her own. So she gets a hold of police and describes a story of being abducted from the Blue Water Saloon on July 24th of 1996. She said she went to this bar to drink and relax after getting into a heated argument with her husband. She meets a woman at the bar named Jessie, which is David's daughter. Jessie decides this woman is right up her dad's alley. Oh, her dad is just going to love her. So she drugs Kelly's drink and calls her dad to come pick her up. 
They take her back to the toy box and torture her for four days before taking her to an isolated spot in the desert and slit her throat, leaving her there to bleed out. But Kelly survived. Kelly told her husband, but he didn't believe her. No way. So she goes to the police and files an official report, but somehow that report got lost and nobody ever took Kelly seriously until this video surfaced three later, three years later, a video she did not even know existed because she was so drugged up in the video. Can you imagine that? Like... Find, you Your know, wife seeing, comes to you and says that, and you say, I don't buy it. Yeah, because I'm sure he probably was like, yeah, right, we got into a fight, and you took off and did your thing, and now you want to come up with this. It's kind of like the Sherry Papini story or the Amber Heard stuff going on. Mm-hmm. It was, he probably just didn't believe her. And um, anyway, so, and th- that's not to say that either of those women are to believe, be believed. I, let me make that clear. Sherry Papini and Amber Heard are both pathological sociopaths, like big problems with lying. I believe, obviously, this Kelly Garrett person went through some stuff, and it's sad that nobody believed her. But I can't even imagine seeing my tattoo on the news and being like, oh, shit, why, is my, why are they looking for me? And then being like, actually, yes, I was abducted, and I tried to tell people, but nobody listened. Oh, and there's a video of me and this sick psychopath that tried to kill me? Awesome. Like, how devastating. So anyway, after Ke- Kelly came forward with her story, another woman named Angelica did as well. Again, Angelica had originally gone to the police with her story, but they brushed her off because she was a sex worker and a drug addict, and they just literally blew her off. She had been abducted by David and Cindy on February 17th of 1999. She was held captive and drugged for four days before they dropped her off. 99? Of 99. Mm-hmm. Okay, I thought this went on until 97. So this went on for 93 to... Late 90s, at least. Okay. Um, So she was held captive and drugged for four days before they dropped her off on the side of the road, left to hitchhike back to Albuquerque. She ended up dying from heart failure. It's either she died from heart failure as a result of having pneumonia or she died from a drug overdose. I couldn't find which article was accurate. Either way, it doesn't matter. She passed, unfortunately, before David ever, ever went to trial for his crimes. But now that Cynthia and Kelly had come forward and police are drumming up evidence, they're starting to take this situation more seriously. So they go to David's girlfriend, Cindy, and they offer her a deal that if she'll be honest and tell them what's going on, what's been going on, that she'll get a reduced sentence for her involvement. And she's like, deal. Let me, let me tell you what you want to know. I hope she gets one life and he gets two lives and they're both gone. Oh... Not so fast. So she told them everything. She told them about how David would kidnap his victims, sometimes sell them to other sex traffickers. Sometimes he'd let them free on the side of the road, or sometimes he'd kill them and hide their bodies in that reservoir. She told investigators that he had killed probably about 30 people. She told them that he had dumped at least seven bodies into that big reservoir in Elephant Butte and that he had learned the best way to dump a body and make it stay down, which was by opening the stomach, putting rocks in there, and then tying them back up with chicken wire to make make them stay down at the bottom of the lake. But even with this information, police have never searched the lake. So people are literally vacationing on this lake. 
and there's dead people in the bottom. Which I bet there's in the bottom a lot of big lakes. Sure, but the fact that they know and they're refusing, I mean, I'm sure it would cost a ton of money and resources to go find these people, but like, seriously? Pretty crazy. Yeah. Does that not just blow your mind? It just doesn't feel right. Like when one floats up, it's going to be pretty ruin a vacation. Yeah, or they're going to be like, oh, no, that's one of David's. Yeah, I don't know. So Cindy was ultimately sentenced to 36 years in prison for her involvement in the crimes. Way too light. She's already out. No. How old is she? I don't know for sure how old she is. And I I guess I should say she was up for parole. And when she went up for parole, there's been no record of her since. So like... I don't know if she changed her name. I don't know where she is, if she's alive or dead. I have no idea. I could not find anything. David's daughter, Glenda Jessie Ray, served two and a half years for her involvement. No. And she was put on one year of probation. And she's out too. And you know why? Yes. And you know why? Because David took a plea deal and said, I'll tell you what you want to know or I'll plead guilty If you give my daughter a reduced sentence. No way. So even though he denies everything, he insists that these women were consenting adults and that he never killed or raped anyone. He never showed any remorse or guilt. And he was ultimately only charged on three cases regarding his living victims because they didn't have enough evidence of these alleged other murders. Like Cindy said, I can take you to where some of these people are buried. And she would take them out there, and then they would find nothing. So it's like, I don't know if they just deteriorated, if she wasn't taking them to the right spot, or if he went and moved them. I don't know, but there wasn't enough evidence to convict him on any murders. But he was still sentenced heavily for these crimes and received a sentence of 224 years in prison. So even though he was never formally charged for more than those three cases— Investigators believed that he was responsible for killing over 60 women in his lifetime, but the remains of his victims have never been found. And the two chicks that helped him, they're free. Mm-hmm. Well, how messed up is that? It's so messed up. Not only, like, Glinda, his daughter, would, you know, hook him up with people and, you know, was Knowing an accomplice damn in well that what sense. Knowing what was going on. For sure. But... Cindy, his girlfriend, would participate in the torture. So, and she's out wandering free. Mm-hmm. She could be listening to us right now. I always say that and I always <laughs> I think it. I know. Cindy, if you are, you suck ass. Yeah, you suck. Um, so anyway, David ended up dying on May 28th of 2002 while he was still in prison. So he's a goner, but uh, his accomplices and girlfriends and whatever... Are still bouncing around. The fact that none of this happened until the 90s, and he was born in 1939. Yeah, he was was an old, Gotta wonder if he was doing stuff that never got flagged. Oh, for sure. And, you know, that's why I mentioned the stuff that he did at a young age, too. Like, when he was hitchhiking with that girlfriend, Sally, and she just disappeared. Mm -hmm. Did he make her disappear? I don't know. This was an awful episode, the toy box. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, So that is our episode for today. We will be back. When's this getting released? Soon. Monday morning? Um, Yes. To everybody? Monday morning to everyone. Hey, everybody have a good week. 
Yes. I hope this is a good start to your week. Yeah, I hope this really kicks off your week with a smile. Uh, Freaking crazy. You guys are weird for liking this stuff, but I'm glad you do. You're entertained. Don't act like you're better than us. You're part of us now. You're in this group, whether you like it or not. Mama. Mystery. Out. Bye.